you know, Advent, you know, like, just like Keith said, you know, the word Advent means like the coming of the Lord. Uh, with Advent, we do focus on Jesus' first coming. Um, that was a great anticipation at that time. It's hard for us to realize this now. But the Lord did not speak for over 400 years, and people were waiting for the coming Messiah, the one that was going to come to deliver the Israelites. And he came, and it was great. He came, and he was, he was born, and he came as a baby. But we know that the next time he comes, he comes with judgment. He, he came before to bring salvation, and now he's coming to separate the people that are his people from the people that are not. Salvation is available to all of, all of us, but... Salvation comes to those that have trusted Jesus as their Savior. So like I said, before he came as a baby, he came to bring salvation. Now he's coming to bring judgment. And he's coming to this world to restore it. To make it once again what what, what he had intended it to be. We were watching that video. I know we were, it was in the middle, so I'm not sure how much we were paying attention to it. But we were speaking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And that's a... An expression that we're going to hear a couple of times here. And we'll talk a little bit about what, about what that is. But let's start. Let's just read through the scripture. So anyway, Second Peter, Peter 3 says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through, our, through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the father fell, the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exists are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook, overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the, the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother, brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in his letter when he speaks of them of these matters. 
There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability, but grow in, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Lord, we come before you and we ask you that just as Peter wrote this letter to remind the readers of these things, Lord, that you may remind us of these things, Lord, that we may anticipate your return with faith, with vigilance and with diligence, doing your work, living out your ways, Lord. Lord, that we may joyfully wait for you to come back as you come back to bring salvation to your people, Lord. Help us not to be asleep but alive and living vibrantly for your glory and for your kingdom, Lord. And we ask you all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the main idea, I gave it away a little bit in my prayer, is God desires his saints to anticipate his return with faith, diligence, and vigilance. God desires for his saints to anticipate his return with faith, diligence, and vigilance. So at the end of this letter... Peter, uh, Peter wants to remind us of a few things. And the first thing he wants us to remember is to remember the word of God. In verse 1, he goes back and he says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So at the, at, at the end of this letter, he's reminding us why he wrote both of his letters. And he's saying that he wants to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And the, stir, the, words, the term stir up means to, to wake up or to, to arouse. And, and he wants to basically stir up their minds to be able to be thinking about the coming of the Lord in a specific way. And he's going to teach us what that way is. And like any good father or any good pastor or any good leader, he is reminding his people of things that they already know. Now, how many of you guys need to be reminded of things you already know, Right? That's part of why we come and we gather as God's people. Uh, there might, might be a few of us that have been studying the Bible for a long time, but I know that I need to be reminded of truth. There are times in my life where I get too comfortable, and God needs to remind me of certain things. And there are also times in my life where I'm going through things that and, and suffering and, and stress sometimes uh, blur our perception of God. So we need to be reminded of these things. Um, when, 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 uh, when Keith had asked me to, to join City Church, one of the reasons why I, when I was, you know, thinking about, you know, accepting be, becoming a worship leader here, one of the things that I thought about was that every Sunday morning I have an opportunity to sing songs that are filled with the Word of God so that I can remind you of who God is. Because it is through life and the things we go through, sometimes we just forget. Amen? We just do sometimes. So anyway, so another thing that, that happens is when we are waiting for something and it takes a long time or longer than we anticipate for it to, to, to take, what happens is sometimes we lose heart, right? So when we are speaking about the coming of the Lord and sometimes people just fall asleep because it hasn't happened in the time that we think 
uh, that it's supposed to. And even this season of Advent is supposed to be a time of reminder. We, it, it, we, we talk about the coming of the Lord. We talking about salvation in Christ. We talk about his first coming all year, but this is a certain time where we take to really remember these things. And I know, uh, from my family, it's been a blessing. I, I, ne- I didn't pay attention to Advent for years in my walk. But but it's been a blessing for us in the middle of gifts and all the other stuff that we do during the holidays. It's been a good reminder of what we're really celebrating. So I love uh, the Advent season. So it said he said also that you should remember the prediction of the the holy prophets and the command of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Um, he's speaking here about the Old Testament prophets. Uh, he said previously in this, in this letter that the prophets did not speak from them, from them, what, what they were wanting to say. They were speaking the word of the Lord. And when we look at the Old Testament prophets, we are talking about the, uh, we are talking about the Old Testament. And one thing is that, that's interesting here is that Peter is sort of making the writing of the apostles equal with the Old Testament. So he understood for them to be scripture already. So a lot of people ask the questions, when the, when the scripture writers were writing scripture, did they know they were writing scripture? I think this sort of shows us that they may have known. I'm not saying that they all knew at all times, but they understood that the writings of the apostles were scripture. They were inspired by the word of God. And one thing that we're going to see later on is that Peter actually refers to, refers to Paul's writings as scripture also. So Peter is basically saying, God has told you that he is coming. God has warned you. He has told you that judgment is coming one day. So do not forget what the word of God says. The Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles were all agents of divine revelation. So Peter wanted us to remember God's word. He also wanted us to know that that scoffers are going to scoff, right? Just like haters are going to hate, scoffers are going to scoff, right? So what's a scoffer? A scoffer is a person who mocks or who laughs at in scorn. And um, he says in verse 3, he says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. So he was letting them know, as you are waiting for the coming of the Lord, there's going to be people that are going to be laughing at you. And they're going to be saying, he's not coming. And, and yeah, I mean, we get this all the time as Christians these days. People laugh at us for believing the word of God. And there's a great rise, rise in atheism and agnosticism in this country and all over the world. Or, and so, uh, some people call secularism as the great, the, the, the fastest growing religion in the world right now. So scoffers treat lightly what they should be taking seriously. And, uh, we see scoffers coming whenever the Bible's talking about judgment, there were always scoffers in that day. And one of the examples in, is in Noah's flood. Peter calls Noah, the great preacher of righteousness. And so this means that, that, that uh, Noah was, was, was sharing with them, hey, there's going to be a flood. But it had never rained before that. So there were just people like, oh, what are you talking about? This guy's crazy. He's spending a 100 years big, building this big boat for nothing. And they probably stood there and they laughed at him. But then what happened? The flood came and everybody besides Noah and seven other people were all destroyed and the water was destroyed with water. 
So they didn't believe that. And sometimes it's hard in our mind to be anticipating and thinking about that this world will be destroyed with fire. But it was the same mentality that the people had during the days of Noah. And I think it's, it's, I've said this before that it's kind of weird. Like when we go into our Sunday school classes, we see the Noah's Ark story as a, a story of animals and it's a joyful story. It's a story of judgment. Everybody wants to look at the animals, but nobody's talking about the people in the water. You know what I mean? The people in the water were the people that refused to believe that judgment would come and they refused to believe the word of the Lord. Amen. So, um, Peter, and Peter also tells us the motive behind their scoffing. He says they're following their own sinful desires. So when it comes to scoffers, usually the mind is not uh, the enemy here. It's not, when we talk, have conversations with people about the Lord, you know, some people say that it takes more faith to be an atheist these days because there is so much more uh, proof that there is at least an intelligent designer. It makes no sense for the world to be working the way it is unless somebody created that. And if you take nothing and you give it time, it doesn't create this beautiful earth that God has made. So it makes no sense. But the issue is not the mind. The issue is the heart. People want to continue living their sinful lives and not having any accountability to anyone or a creator. So most of, most of the time, like I said, the, the issue is not the mind. It's the heart. So I remember I was speaking to a friend of mine and he was living a very, you know, a very sinful lifestyle and having a conversation with him about the Lord. And I was telling him and, and, you know, just speaking to him about the love of Christ and salvation and grace and how God is calling him, you know, and, and wants to save him from his sin. And he refused to look at his lifestyle as sin. And he said, basically, if God doesn't want me the way that I am, then I don't want God. So I'm not saying that God doesn't take us the way that we are. He does. But the thing is, I was talking to him about the cost of discipleship. That we are to, to give our lives to God is to give our lives to him as our savior. We no longer belong to ourselves. But he was saying, basically, if God does not want to conform to me, then I am not going, I, I don't want anything to do with God. And this is the mind of so many people. People want to continue living in their sinful ways. And what is the scoffer's message? They say, there is the prom- uh, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. So people think that we're crazy for saying that God is coming back. But the, if, if, we, if, we, if we look, uh, look back at, 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 um, at the, the, the message, um, well, this, this is what happens. When it comes to the message of, of Jesus' return, we sometimes either pay too much attention to it or not enough attention to it. So I remember when I first came to the Lord the, 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 at, at my church, they used to use uh, judgment to try to scare people into salvation. They used to try to... Ah, I feel better. So they used to try to use judgment to try to uh, scare people into, into salvation. And they didn't speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were just saying, Jesus is coming back. And, and sometimes we can have this extreme preoccupation with judgment. And then this can actually be harmful. We're not thinking about the complete message of Jesus. So, I mean, the truth is that the gospel message starts with sin and judgment. When we speak about salvation, what are we being saved from, right? 
We're being saved by the judgment that comes that we deserve because of our sins. But we see that there are a lot of weirdos out there that go to YTU. You guys know what YTU is, right? YouTube University. They go to YouTube University and they learn about the coming of the Lord. They learn about all these judgment things and, and you see all these teachings where, and there, there, there are a few things in the Bible when speaking in the, in the, in the book of Revelation that are not obvious to us. There are things that are a mystery to us. And I believe that God has intended it to be that way. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to figure it out, but there's some things that we don't know for sure. And we have people, oh, the, you know, the lion is Russia, the, the bear is Poland or whatever. You know, they, they come out and they have all these things and they try to spend so much time speculating. But the thing is, the truth is that God has left it some things to be a mystery. So I think that because of those people going extreme, we can either fall, we can even tend to just start to ignore them because of that. And because of that, we don't think about judgment and we don't think about the coming of the Lord. Every famous person becomes the Antichrist. You guys seen the videos, right? Everybody's exposed and the Antichrist. But at the same time, we have people that don't even think about it. We don't think about judgment. And even churches these days don't want to speak about sin or judgment. But the beginning of the gospel is our human condition and what's where we are headed because of it. We are all born as children of wrath and we need the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Right. So it says that they deliberately overlook this fact. So they, they, the mockers come, the atheists come and, and some of them are even deists where they believe that God created the world, but he just wound the clock up and walks away, but he has no intervention and doesn't work in our, in our lives today. But Peter exposes their error, and he says that they make a mistake, that they deliberately overlook that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. The world was created a long time ago by God. And how did he create that? The Bible says that he created it with his word he spoke the world into existence only god has that power but god spoke the world into existence the bible said that the spirit of god was hovering over the waters and he spoke the world into existence so god has the power to do that and he created the world also they deliberately overlook that god had judged the world with a great flood like we mentioned before about noah it says that the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished so there was this great uh, event that took place and people that don't even know God and, and, and history just speak about this great flood that affected the world. So God intervened in a radical way with, with, with judgment, with water, and next time he's going to intervene in a radical way with fire. So if he judged the world before, then what makes us say that he won't do it again? So in Matthew twenty four thirty seven it says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving into marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So scoffers just carry on living their life. And there's nothing wrong with, with uh, eating, marrying, and, and what, what does it say over here? There's nothing wrong with eating, drinking, and marrying, and giving to marriage. But the the point that Jesus was making is they go on with their lives like if nothing is going to happen. So we do not want to have that attitude. 
They said things have been the same as they were from the beginning. God is not going to do anything. But we know that that's not true. That's not true. They have overlooked that. They they have also uh, deliberately. Am I going the right way here? Sorry. Okay. They also, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. By his words, he created the world and and also he judged the world and he's going to... uh, uh, for the, la- the last judgment and also through his word is going to be coming. And that's the destruction of the uh, ungodly. So the scoffers don't want to accept God as creator, as redeemer, or as judge. So Peter also wanted us to remember that Jesus is coming back. So uh, verse 8 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count snow, snow, slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish and that all should reach repentance. So when it says that uh, with, the, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day, um, I don't think that, that Peter was necessarily trying to give us a formula of Jesus' return. I think the point that he's making is that God sees time different than man sees time. God is eternal. He was forever and will be forever. So, so time for him is, is, is something that's very small, but he's also outside of time. We are are limited by time, so we see time differently. Just like my, I see time differently than my kids do. One day they told me that they had recess for five minutes. And I'm like, that's probably not true, you know? Or if we go to a store, we're there for about half hour. We've been here for three hours. Their perception of time is different than ours. Our perception of time is different than God's. Amen? So I think that's the point that he's making here. And I like the way that, that Charles uh, Spurgeon puts it. He says, All things are equally near and present to his view. The distance of a thousand years before the occurrence of, a, of an event is no more to him than would be the interval of one day. With God, indeed, there is neither past, present, nor future. He takes for his name the I am. He does not call himself the I was. For then we should conceive that he used to be something which he is not now. That that some part of his character has changed. So he says I am. He didn't say I was because that would mean that he, that he was something different in the past. Nor does our Lord speak of himself, himself as the I shall be. For that might lead us to imagine that he is now that he is not now something which he will be in the ages to come. So in other words, if he sa- he's not the I shall be. So it's not like he's something now and he's going to be something else in the future. He is the I am. I am in the present. I am in the, in the, in the past. I am in the future. Just as we say of God that he is everywhere, so we may say of him that he is always. He is everywhere in space. He is everywhere in time. God is not limited to time. When he sees, he sees everything at the same time because he's God. This is hard for our minds to understand that because we're limited by time. So when we say that a thousand years is like a day, it's just saying that God sees time very different than we do. In verse 9, it says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How many are grateful for this, right? So how many of people have come to the Lord in the last two years in here? 
Just imagine that he came three years ago. How many people have come to Christ in the last five years? You're still in there. You got to keep your hand up. <laughs> How many people have come to Christ in the last 10 years? In the last 15 years? Okay, we have a lot of preaching to do because I don't think we have many Christians in here. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying, you get the point that I came to the Lord about 25 years ago. I'm grateful that he didn't come 26 years ago. And guess what? He was waiting for me to come and he was waiting for you to come and you and you. Because in his plan, he has called us to be his. So even though we think like he's, I'm not saying that God is reactive, but he has already established a time where he knows that all the people that he has called for salvation will be his at that moment. Amen. So we are just living out what God has already established. And he is patient. So when the scoffers saw him as being slow, we see it as God being merciful towards us. Because if he would have came 26 years ago, then I would not be going to spend eternity with him. Amen? So you could plug in your own time there and you know when, when that means for you. But just think about that. If he came the year before, you're going to be destined for eternity being separate from the Lord. And we don't want that. So God, uh, like I said, he's established everything. We are just living it out and fulfilling it. And it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief. So when a thief comes, does he call you and make an appointment? No. He's coming at a time where you least expected it. So he's coming at a time where you're not thinking that a thief is going to come. So he has a plan. But if we are not careful and we are not thinking about it, then we're going to be caught off guard. So God is basically saying that you need, or Peter's basically saying that we need to be on guard always because God can come at any moment. God can come at any moment. Now, grow, like I said, growing up in, in a church that, that used fear to try to lead people to Christ, I thought he would have been here 10 years ago. And they try to fear, like I have a friend that actually stopped going to school because she thought that he was coming. Ten years later, she wasn't going to church anymore. And that was one of the reasons why she didn't. The gospel was never preached to her. Fear was preached to her. And there's a, yeah, yes, we should have some, some reverence and some fear of the Lord. But that's not the whole message. We know that. So we know that um, judgment with fire is coming. And now, as we are talking about that, he, Peter wants us to remember that the word of God, and he wants us to remember that Jesus is coming back. He also tells us now how should we live now that, 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 he's, that he's coming. How should we anticipate his return? And the first thing he says is to be godly. Verse 11 says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the Lord, the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So he's saying basically, since this world is temporary and it's going to be destroyed, we should probably be living for things that are eternal. And how are we to do that? How are we to, to prepare for his return? We are to live lives of holiness and godliness. 
Holiness means to be set apart. In other words, we are to be used for God's glory, and that's all. We are to be separate from the things that don't honor him, to live lives that glorify him. And um, godliness, you know, we, we are to live righteously and obedient. Matthew 6.33 says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. So instead of us thinking about this world so much that it will pass away and nothing's going to matter, let's think about the things that are eternal. And as far as godliness, uh, 2 Peter uh, 1.3 says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us who called us to his own glory and excellence by by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So he's saying here that God has given us everything that we need for godliness. It says here through knowledge. And how do we obtain knowledge? Through his word. And through a relationship with him. The word of God is the living word that transforms our lives. That gives us knowledge of who God is. He starts to reveal himself to us through his word. So his word and also by the spirit of God. He says here that we are partakers of his divine nature. How are we partakers of his divine nature? When the spirit of God is born inside of us, this is when we become born again. So anyone that is born again has the spirit of God living inside of them, which empowers us for holy living. It doesn't only empower us for holy living, but it also empowers us to be witnesses for God. So we have everything that we need inside of us. And another thing that the Spirit of God does is that it uses us to build each other up. He didn't mention the, 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 the church here, but this is what we are. One of the reasons why we're here and we gather together is to use our gifts to build each other up so that we can go out there and do the work of the ministry. Amen? I mean, like a, the church itself is not a social club. It's not like we're here and we, the way that we pay our dues is by paying our tithes and watching the kids for half an hour. You know what I mean? We are here to be building one another up. And that's why we, you know, we, we get together for this. We're not here just to get together and this is what we do on Sunday mornings. Then that would be just religion, but it's more than that. We are the body of Christ. And I'm going a little bit ahead of myself. I'll talk about this later. I'll scream at you guys later. Not getting, but, but this is something that I need to encourage myself with because we easily get lulled to sleep and forget why we're here. We forget why we serve here. Everything that we do here, we're doing it for the kingdom of God. Everything from the preacher to the person that's making the coffee, everything we do here, we're doing it for that so that we can know Jesus, so we can love people, and so that we can impact our world. So think about it. Next time that you're coming to serve, you are coming to be part of a group of people that are called to impact the world with the gospel. It's more, like I said, than just paying your tithes and, and watching the kids for half an hour. It's not half hours, more than that. And that the way I'm going, it might be a little bit longer too. So anyway, but you, you guys understand what I'm saying? Everything we do here, there's a purpose for it. And that should invigorate us to do it with, with passion and with love and with the gospel in mind. Everything that we do. And also in the relationships that we have with one another. Let's build one another up. Amen? 
So uh, also, and it says here that about waiting for the, and hastening the coming of, of the day of the Lord, waiting is to eagerly anticipate with joy. Is that our attitude about the day of the Lord? Is that our attitude about the coming of the Lord? Do we even think about that? Are we anticipating with Lord? With, 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 are we anticipating it with joy? Are we celebrating and crying out for the Lord to come back? And it's interesting when it says the hastening, because it sort of sounds like our work is the one that makes Jesus come faster. I don't think that's what he's saying, but if you think about it from the floor, you know, I mean, Matthew 24, uh, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the world will come. God has already established the timing of that, but we are living out what God has established. So in... Uh, not from from God's perspective of him controlling everything, but down here on the ground, it's like if what we do in the ministry is hastening the coming of the Lord. That makes sense? So what we do, God God, uh, continues to fulfill his purpose in the world through his church as we go and we share the gospel to all nations. So like I said, is there an, an eagerness? And Are we expecting the Lord with joy and anticipating him with, with eagerness? First John uh, two twenty eight says, "And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when you he, when He appears, He may we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you if you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Our righteous life gives us confidence of our salvation." If there's anyone here, and I think maybe everybody once in a while, especially early in their faith, has ever doubted their salvation, it's never the time where you're killing it spiritually, right? It's at a time where there's a struggle, and you're saying, man, am I really saved? And I, I think that's okay for us to, to work through those things. But when we are living righteously according to his word, we have confidence that we are the children of God, and we do not shy away from him. We do not shy away from the coming. We anticipate his coming. Because we know that when he comes, he's coming to judge the wicked and the ones that have not given their lives to him. So as we think about these things, if there is no desire in our life to live righteously, then then, that you might be able to be grateful that the Lord hasn't come and there's always time. And I'm not saying that we struggle. We all struggle. But if there's no desire for you to live righteous living, look at your life and, and think about whether you have really put your trust in Christ or not. Amen. And, and, and he might be waiting for you. All right. So when he talks about in verse 13, it says, according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Besides pure worship for God, another motivation why we live righteously is because we're anticipating that he's going to be creating a new world, a new earth and new heavens for us. And this is going to be a place where righteousness dwells. So if we're going to be spending eternity living righteously, then we should be living now righteously. Amen. And I'm not sure if he's going to create something new or if he's or maybe the earth that's going to be burned up and judged. Maybe he's going to reform that into new heavens or earth. I'm not sure. But whatever it is, I'm eagerly anticipating for this. He also says to be diligent. Verse 14 says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Let's not uh, fall asleep, but let's be laboring, doing the work of the Lord. And let us live 
hold with a holy urgency for the work of the ministry. Let us live with a holy urgency. Let us look at the people around us and, and see them through the eyes of God. See if they if they are in need of salvation or not. And let us live, live, uh, live our lives with, with, with knowing that we are here to be doing God's work. So we are to be kingdom minded, but ask yourself if you have personally fallen asleep. Are you doing the work of the ministry? Are you advancing the kingdom? Are you seeing his patience for other people to come to Christ and to be saved? When you walk out of here on Sundays, did you just complete your spiritual exercise for the work or is it the beginning? When you walk out of here, do you see the world out there as your mission field? Or are you going to rest spiritually until next Sunday when you come to church? I fear that many in the church have fallen asleep, especially here in the United States. You know, we have too much. You know, we, we have all these comforts and stuff. And, and it's, it's, yeah, it, it's just it's heartbreaking because we should be doing uh, the work of the ministry. And I'm, I'm telling you as a person, I have to check myself on this all the time too. I'm not just speaking to you guys. Do we live with holy urgency, knowing that there are people that God wants to use us to share the gospel with? Do we live with that? Or like I said, do we complete our spiritual exercise on Sunday morning when we walk out of here? It's not what it should be. This should be our battery for us to go do the work. Amen. Quoting Charles Spurgeon again. <laughs> and I, I've shared this quote before, but if sinners be damned, at least let them heap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Does this look like our lives? Are we too busy building our own kingdoms or just sleeping? There is a judgment that is coming and God wants to use us to gather as many people for him as we can. And of course, we have that tension. We know God is the one that saves. We don't save anybody. God doesn't call us to save people. God calls us to share the gospel. You know, are we walking out there? Are we harvesters going to, to go and to, to harvest the ones that are ripe for salvation? The one that God has prepared for salvation? Are we doing this? And if this is not your life, then, then God wants you to repent. And guess what? We can do this together. That's what he's called us to be as a church. It's not about you doing it. It's about us doing it. And if one of us needs to be encouraged in this, then let's speak to each other. And let's, within community, let's be able to build each other up and, and encourage each other. Amen. In verse 15, it says, Just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to his wisdom given, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them on these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destructions they do with other scriptures. One point right here, like I said, is that he's referring to Paul's writing as scripture, as I said earlier. And he said about that, that some of them twist it uh, to be, and it says um, that because of their ignorance and they are unstable. Ignorance means unlearned and unstable means ungodly in lifestyle, what it's speaking about here. So there are people that twist, it says that the twisting means to contort scripture to mean it what they, what they want it to mean. 
So it is uh, people, we still have a lot of false teaching out here. People uh, just taking scripture, trying to mean something else than what it means. Scripture has one meaning, has maybe different applications, but when we read something, there's only one meaning to it. So I, I've been in circles where people like, oh, well, I think it means this. It really doesn't matter what we think. It matters what it really means. And people twist scripture sometimes to mean it to mean uh, things that, that, that are not. And what, what it actually does is that it's mis, it misrepresents God. So as, as people that are coming to do the, the work of God, we have to be champions for truth. Amen? And uh, Paul also, uh, Peter also said he also wanted us to be vigilant. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So we have to be on guard not to, I'm sorry. We have to be on on guard not to fall into these pits because we could get carried away or lulled to sleep, sleep by the message of the scoffers. The message that God is not really coming. We can be comfortable, but we need to hold fast to this truth and take the word of God at face value. God is coming back. We are to be stable and rooted and grounded in Christ. And Peter is reminding us of all things. Like I said before, I need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. And you need to be reminded me. And I need to be reminding you. And um, so one sure way that we can avoid losing our stability or being uh, falling asleep is to be growing. Verse 18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So to be growing in the grace and knowledge is to be growing in maturity, to be maturing in our faith, and to becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what our spiritual growth looks like, to become more and more like Jesus. So if you want to avoid falling asleep, you want to avoid making compromises, just make sure that you are growing in your relationship with God, that you are abiding in Christ, that you are being consistent in your, in your, in your, in your reading of the word, that you're consistent in prayer, that you are consistently engaging in authentic relationships and fellowship with one another. That you are in, in, con, consistently engaging in worship. That you are consistently engaging in witnessing to others. And that you are consistently living a life of repentance. These are the disciplines that help us to grow in our relationship with God. We are saved by grace, but we are also empowered by grace to grow. We are empowered by the grace of God to live godly lives. And like I said earlier, we are empowered by him to be able to do do the work of the ministry. So as we lean on him and ask for his grace and consistently go to God and rely on him and not on our own strength, we will grow to be more and more like Jesus. And this process is what we call sanctification. So this is something that doesn't happen by accident. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, you have to be intentional about it. It doesn't happen by accident. So this is a great way for us to stay awake, to be constantly growing in our relationship with God. And then Peter ends with, to him be the glory both now and to the, and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter ends with this great doxology that puts everything into his proper perspective. We are to live and do all these things for the glory of God. Our lives are to be for the glory of God and that he may glorify himself and through us until the day that he comes back. And there's, there's a, a, an Aramaic word that says, is the word Maranatha. 
And there's like a little argument about what it means where it's two words, but where it's broken up. And if it's broken up in a certain way, it says the Lord has come. But if you break it up in a different way, it says, oh, Lord, come. So when we think about Advent, the Lord has come. But as his people, we should be crying out for the coming of the Lord. And like I said, that he may be glorified in us and through us and that he may find himself when he comes back being glorified through us. Peter made this a little easy for me because half of the preaching was application. So I'm just going to remind you of what I've already said. The first point is that we should remember that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. I'm going to say it one more time. Jesus is coming back. And we should anticipate his coming with joy. And this joy should fuel us to, number two, be godly. Living godly lives. Also to be diligent. To be working for the kingdom and spreading his word. Also to be vigilant. To not fall asleep but live with a holy urgency in our lives. And also to be growing. As we grow, like I said, if there's one way that it can stop us from falling asleep is for us to be growing in our relationship with God.